Welcome to Classical Education, a podcast for those who believe in rediscovering the art of asking questions, engaging in conversation, and attending to the ideas at the heart of well-ordered teaching and learning. Adrian Fries and Trey Bailey invite you to join them on a journey in pursuit of the true, the good, and the beautiful as we participate in the great conversation and listen to the many voices coming from the world of classical education. In this episode, we would like to talk about what we mean when we say rediscovering the art of asking questions. What are we talking about when we consider engaging in conversation? And then, of course, what are we trying to do when we think about attending to the ideas at the heart of well-ordered teaching and learning? So, Adrian, let's just start with that first one, and let's consider what it means to ask good questions, and why do you think that we need to rediscover this? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think that one of the reasons it's important to consider that it's a rediscovery is that we live in a um, a world where so often in schools, questions are very um, rooted in comprehension and pragmatic ideas rather than in wonder and in human and virtue-based ideas that um, are the essence of a classical education. And um, so, so asking our guests to help our listeners understand what is the art of asking questions is one of our is one of our goals with the podcast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And to say it's an art, what what's going on there? What's going on with that word art? Right. Well, so art it has to do with skill and learning the skill of asking good questions is is the essence of um, it's it's not just a tool. Asking questions isn't a tool, but it's actually an art. And um, there's a lot there's a lot in that, and a lot more to discover. Um, I've done a lot of teacher training on on this and learning Socratic questioning learning a lot from reading Socrates. I would recommend all teachers really read and spend time in Plato's dialogues because it really does help teach the art of asking questions. Um, I also would like to share a quote from Norms and Nobility by David Hicks. He says- Oh good, that's a great book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, classical education is not preeminently of a specific time or place. It stands instead for a spirit of inquiry and a form of instruction concerned with the development of style through language and of conscience through myth. The key word here is inquiry. Everything springs from the special nature of inquiry. The inquiry dictates the form of instruction and establishes the moral framework for thought and action. And I'd like to emphasize here how he says inquiry dictates our form of instruction. I think here what he's saying is that pedagogy and how we teach is dictated by a spirit of inquiry. And I think that's really important um, to come into a conversation, not only in school, but in in life. And this is the whole idea of classical education, forming a student for life. Um, That if we come into a conversation through the spirit of inquiry, that that's at the heart of a classical pedagogy. And 
so how we do this in the classroom, what does the teacher need to do classically for this to happen is, is really a, an important part of our conversations on our podcast. Mm -hmm. If I remember norms and nobility correctly, one of the things that the author emphasizes is the importance of a normative inquiry. Mm -hmm. And in so many words, what he's talking about there is this idea of asking questions that get at the heart of, okay, well, now that we know this, or now that we've read this, now that we've thought about this, what should we do about it? How then should we live, in other words? And so this spirit of inquiry, it sounds like the art of asking questions is asking questions that ultimately lead to deeper questions even we could say existential questions that get to the heart of who we are, where do we come from, where are we going, and all of that is what we are trying to rediscover. And I know that our guest that we have in the episodes to come will will talk about that, whether we have someone who is talking about asking good questions in the science classroom, asking good questions while reading through a work of literature, or anything else involved in the life of a school, seems to me that rediscovering the art of asking questions is at least one of many good places to start. Yeah. And I, that would lead to a conversation, right? A back it, and forth, right? Yeah. If you're asking questions, I'm asking questions, there's gotta be some answers thrown in there leading to a conversation. Exactly, I agree. And I, I was thinking a little more about um, the art of asking questions really, when you were asking me about art, um, has to do with habits. So we start yeah. with habits of how we think, habits of um, before we actually ask a question, we step back and say, wait a minute, what's the spirit? You know, we've got to go back to the spirit of inquiry. What's the spirit from which I am posturing myself? to ask this question. Mm -hmm. Is it a question that emulates genuine love and truth? Um, one of the guidelines that I recently created for our Facebook group, our Facebook page is great. And most people really do have a spirit of inquiry on there. I've rarely had to delete any posts. Everybody's been wonderful, which is amazing when you have over mm -hmm. 3000 people on a group. <laughs> but, um, but what I have, what I have come to, um, understand about the spirit of inquiry, especially with regards to the Facebook group, is um, that a spirit of inquiry really needs to be postured by a humble spirit that is seeking truth, because that's what will produce love and fruit. If, if the inquiry is postured by a spirit of divisiveness, it's not humble, mm -hmm. and it's only going to seek to raise oneself above others, and it's going to cause some of those heated debates that you can think, oh, well, this is good, we're having this debate but not if the debate has started or within it, there's a comments that are postured with a spirit of divisiveness. And so I think that's a really important distinction when you're dealing with the spirit of inquiry in like social media. And I think going back to the art of asking questions is just a habit that we as humans learn through um, rules of civil discourse and you know, schools that have, um, have Socratic seminars are teaching the children the rules of civil discourse, which I learned around the dinner table at my grandparents' house. <laughs> right, right. But so many, In many kids ways, today a lost art. Right, yes. Exactly. Mm -hmm. What you're talking about there is the art of asking questions and also, also the art of listening. And so when put together, the second thing 
in terms of our, our goals for this podcast is to think about engaging in conversation. And I love the word conversation because what's going on in that word conversatio, right, is this idea of turning together. And so in a proper conversation, which requires at least two people, you've got two people who in their speech and in their listening to one another are ideally, if it's a good conversation, turning towards the truth together. That's right. And if we could bring that back into the life of the school or the homeschool, really starting at the life of the family and between friends, then it seems to me that the art of asking questions would be, in many ways, a natural byproduct of a desire for a true conversation turning together towards the truth. Yeah, that's a great point. I really like that you you said that. Um, one of the things that we talk about as well a lot is in, engaging in the great conversation. And I know that some of our ah. listeners are new to classical education. They don't even know what the great conversation is. It is something, right? I'd love to have you explain to our listeners what, what it is and what it means. Well, there are many ways to think about education and to think about classical education. And one of the ways it's been described is to take part in the great conversation. In other words, we're talking about a conversation that is great, meaning big. It's been around for a long time. Lord willing, it'll continue for a long time. And if you imagine yourself stepping into a room, let's say, that's full of people, and let's imagine that these people are from the past and in the present, and you step into the room and you hear a conversation going on, I would imagine that, you know, if you grew up like you did, sitting around the dinner table with your grandparents, you'd probably listen in a little bit first and try to catch the, uh, you know, the, the, the direction of the conversation, hear from the various voices in the room. And then at some point, you know, you may jump in yourself and contribute something to the conversation, throw in your oar, so to speak, and the conversation continues and, you know, in, in thinking about a ongoing conversation that's been going on long before you entered the room and uh, will continue going on uh, even after your own departure from this life, that's what we mean when we talk about the great conversation. And so it's an orientation towards the past, listening to the voices of the past, and also, as we'll find, you know, the people who are on our show are people who are actively working in the present part of that same conversation that's ongoing exactly exactly i love that and the this um you know bringing in this spirit of this great conversation is really important to the curriculum that's chosen even um that great books are chosen for students to read so that they're being put in touch with the great thinkers of the past and the great authors Um, the great educators of the world and classical education is kind of our goal in the podcast is introducing everybody to there's so many great thinkers in the in this huge movement and we want to help bring that great conversation into the into the uh, the world of the podcast world (laughs) so and we've been making great connections it's been really exciting we're really excited about all oh my goodness it's been amazing um, we're trying to make sure that we have a variety 
of, of guests uh, with lots of different perspectives because different perspectives is also really a big part of the great conversation. Uh, also engaging. That's right. And so well, finish your thought, please. No, I was just saying, and also engaging with people on our Facebook group. Um, we've interviewed a few of them <clears> as well. And I, I want to continue to do that. I want to continue bringing some of the people who have been faithful posters and followers and contributors to the Facebook community on the podcast. Exactly. In so many ways, we want to extend an invitation just as much as we invite our guests onto the show, we want to extend an invitation to our listeners to join in the great conversation in so much in so much as we can participate in it. And part of that is contributing to and learning from the tradition, which uh, we have inherited, right? That word tradition means handed down. So there are certain things that we have received from people who have come before us, and we want to be good recipients and stewards of that. We want to conserve and preserve some things that are worthy of being passed down to the next generation. And in that sense, we're really inviting people into not just the conversation, not just a handing down of a tradition, but really an initiation into a way of being, uh, into, into a life. I love that. And I think that leads into our, our third major point of what we're trying to do together this idea of attending to the idea or the ideas rather at the heart of well-ordered teaching and learning. Maybe you can help us understand what we're talking about. Let's start with this idea of well-ordered. What's going on there? Oh, wow, Trey, that's a big question. There's a lot there. Um, I immediately think of the trivium and the quadrivium, the order of that, the importance of the order in that. But I also, and I think of the importance of the order. I love the trivium. It's it's kind of an area that I've been reading and researching about for about five years. And mm -hmm. the order within the trivium shows so much. There's an order within habits. I, I, I believe strongly that habit habit building is a really huge part of, um, of the trivium. Um, habits of thinking, habits of speaking, habits of listening, habits of, 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 learning how to speak eloquently and how to craft things, you know, how to craft your writing, all of that is part of well-ordered teaching and learning. Um, but on our website, we also posted four podcast goals that are, that are listed on our website. And, and these goals, I think, are particularly important for our guests. And they, um, they, they bring together all of, all of the well-ordered teaching and learning. And um, if you, if, our guests would like to see what those goals are. They're listed on our website at classicaleducationpodcast.com. And we have those there because they help you and I bring the conversations back to this idea of well-ordered teaching and learning when we're talking to our guests on the podcast. So we try to bring a lot of our interviews back to these ideas that help establish the well-ordered teaching and learning. Um, and I think we've done a really good job at that with all of us. We're always trying to come back to some of those, those four key points when we're interviewing. Um, and most of our guests have really enjoyed talking about those things. And there's a lot of ideas within it. It's a big idea. It's not just a little idea that we can talk about in a few minutes. Um, I think it's also really important what we're going back to the great conversation 
that when we're putting students in touch with the great minds, that that is going to help establish the, the well-ordered thinking because you're going to begin to develop relationships. Uh, Charlotte Mason calls it the science of relations, these relationships with the great thinkers and the beautiful ideas and these relationships with nature outside, studying and asking questions about why are the clouds in the sky, you know, starting when you're little and, and always having those questions um, is at the heart of well-ordered teaching and learning. So it kind of circles back to the idea of asking questions, allowing good questions to be asked and allowing students to have a spirit of inquiry and wonder in the classroom, even if it deviates from a lesson plan. That's part of well-ordered teaching. Um, Mm -hmm. So there's a, there's a lot, there's a lot of um, meat in this idea. Um, so, so we, you and I craft really specific questions to help get back to this. And I, I really hope our listeners will look at those four goals and begin to kind of hear them and see how they're woven through the way you and I ask questions on the podcast. And I was, I was even thinking through how this idea of well-ordered teaching and learning is really tied to the great books and as a really important foundation as an educator. Um, and, but you have uh, a real passion for John Sr.'s work. And one of the things I remember you sharing with me is that he, um, in his wisdom, says that in order to read the great books, the student first needs to read the lesser great books, like for pre-K-12. So could you give some Yeah, examples? he calls them the good books. Yeah, tell us about that. Right. Well, I was delighted to discover John Sr. just a few years ago, and he is someone that I wish I had read earlier in my career and earlier in my approach to thinking about education. One of the things he talks about is thinking about how students, especially in college, are expected to you know, jump in to the great books and in so many ways, our cultural soil is depleted to a point, and we're lacking in, as we've discussed, that art of asking questions and in participating in the great conversation, that he discovered that his college students were really having a hard go at entering into the great books in the proper way. They just hadn't received uh, certain things from their previous education, going really all the way back to their earliest days in the nursery. Mm -hmm. And so John Sr. talks about the importance of providing certain things for children. And so he, he's, he's oftentimes best known for his list of 1,000 good books. So he's done some of the legwork for you and has listed some books. I've enjoyed reading many of those with my students at the middle school level. And I'm so eager to see them you know, take some of the things they're learning in the classroom from the text, but also how we approach the text, how we enjoy the text together, the questions and the conversation that come out of reading these good books that I know they'll be able to readily apply when they jump into what we call the great books. So to pick up Homer or to pick up Milton or Dante, already having certain, well, a certain art of approaching literature. 
Right. For one thing. Yeah, good point. That's good something point. that I think John Sr. can help us with. And I know that many of our guests are starting to rethink, okay, well, what would that look like, you know, let's say in the math classroom or in the science classroom? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of talk about how this can be applied in, in literature, but I know that our guests are currently thinking through, okay, well, what can we do to take a similar approach in these other subject areas? And I think our listeners will be delighted to not only hear about the philosophical underpinnings, but also get some really practical advice and probably some book recommendations thrown into the mix. I agree completely. In fact, we talk about a lot of books and all the podcasts. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, one of the, th- you, you brought up um, reading some, some of the books to the, your middle school students that maybe perhaps they had missed. And I had a similar experience. Um, I was working with um, some middle school teachers. This was about four years ago. And um, these, these, this was a brand new, these were some schools that charter schools that were transitioning to a classical model. And um, I gave them some lessons um, from Plutarch. And this was for middle school. And my kids started reading Plutarch. I mean, we started reading Plutarch when they were about 10. I read it out loud and they narrated it to me. But uh, So I thought these middle school students could handle it, but they really could not. (laughs) And so, and I think it's because I had read so many foundational books to my children. They knew good literature and they, they had their, they were already attuned to the kind of language that's a little more difficult um, if you're not accustomed to it. And so, yeah, even, even getting kids ready for middle school. And so what, what these teachers ended up doing, which was so interesting, is they ended up with these middle school students reading Beatrix Potter and Aesop's Fables. And that takes us kind of back to the progymnismata, which is classical writing. It's the 12 or 14 steps of classical writing. And um, the first step is fable. And it's actually, they're really fun writing exercises. I, I love doing uh, fable writing exercises with teachers. They're, they're really, really fun. And, um, but these students just loved the Aesop's fables and the Beatrix Potter stories. They loved them. And they had not, a lot of them had never heard them. And mm-hmm. you're just thinking, wow, like, and, and, you know, I remember what was it a couple years ago, the, uh, Peter Rabbit movie came out, which was absolutely nothing like the Peter Rabbit Mm. storybooks. And it it makes me sad to think that there's children out there today that their parents would never read them Peter Rabbit, but they went and saw that movie that has, it's completely adulterated the Beatrix Potter versions. (laughs) So I I think that's kind of one of the things we're getting at too, is, is the importance that, uh, transition schools, uh, and even kids that are new into a classical school, having those middle school teachers um, help those new students that are maybe perhaps coming from a public school and they're 14, they've never had this kind of ever education, kind of help them along with some, some basic, you know, fun lessons and even starting off the school year with an Aesop's fable. What a great way to start off the first week of school in every grade. It, you know, it's- That's right. It's great. They're, they're, they're timeless. They're for everybody. And I always recommend to schools, hey, every grade should start off the first week of school with an Aesop's fable. It's an easy way to get the kids, you know, back into the school year. I think that's good advice. One thing that I want parents to hear is that 
you know, whether you are homeschooling or your children are uh, going to a school outside of the home, it's never too late to start bringing these books into your own home and even start reading them yourselves. That's right. And what you'll find is that, you know, there is a world of wonderful literature out there and you can start today. And I know that our guests are going to bring a lot of good uh, recommendations and I'm eager to hear about some books that uh, I can add to my collection. I expect this podcast to not be very uh, good for people's bank accounts because they're probably going to be getting some <laughs> some Amazon packages at the door, ordering a few books here and there. Or or their Amazon wish list is going to grow. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's exactly right. Right. Yeah. I know we had I had a really wonderful uh, bonus podcast interview with um, Joshua Gibbs on The Little Prince, because I just happen to think that that's yes. a book that every teacher ought to read. And uh, so that that mm -hmm. particular bonus podcast is going to be on our Patreon for uh, exclusive for Patreon members. So um, we, we're hoping that that will bless some people. We'll have some of those bonus podcasts. And so, yeah, getting to hear from and I'm interviewing Chris Hall actually this week on two of his favorite poems. So it's just going to be really fun to have some of our guests you know, share with us some of their favorite books that they've enjoyed and have those as little bonus podcasts for our listeners. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, well, Trey. Well, I think our guests are in for a real treat. I know that uh, we have been spending a lot of time talking to a lot of beautiful people, uh, great educators and administrators, headmasters, headmistresses, teachers in the classroom, parents at home, and so I think our listeners will find several people that they identify directly from, but many people that they'll be able to learn from. I, I think that you and I hopefully have this posture that you described earlier of humility and saying, hey, look, we're not the fountain of all knowledge here, but we certainly see ourselves in the role of custodians of a tradition, of a great conversation, and of an education that uh, redirects and invites people into a participation in things that are true, good, and beautiful. I agree. And Trey, we always list, we always end our podcast asking our listeners to share with us what is it one uh, a quote that's been meaningful to them, or a book um, that's been uh, impactful on their life, and it doesn't have to be a book that was classical or um, a book that they wish they had read sooner in their life. So which of those questions would you like to answer? Well, since we brought up John Sr., I'd like to reference the book that I wish I had read earlier. And there's actually two books, and they come one right after the other. And the titles are The Death of Christian Culture. That's the first book. And then the second book, Thankfully, he wrote another one called The Restoration of Christian Culture, and it's in the death of Christian culture that you'll find at the very end the list of the 1,000 good books. You can mm -hmm. find it in other various sources online where the list has been uh, separated from the main text, but I highly recommend reading the book he wrote that ends with that list, and then if you want to continue what he's saying at the end of that book about restoring certain things, I want you to uh, consider reading The Restoration of Christian Culture, which is John Sr.'s take on 
classical education as a Christian, so classical Christian education. So why Two do you... wonderful books that I commend to uh, to parents and teachers alike. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Um, why why do you wish you had read them sooner? Well, I think that John Senior is someone who. He's writing these books at a time in his life where he had a long and productive career as an educator. He was someone who taught at the college level, and he was known for a really unique program at a state school uh, called the Integrated Humanities Program, in which he was having students coming up through high school and entering into this undergraduate program. And they were, they were lacking in not only a lot of the knowledge of the good books that they uh, should have received earlier, but they were also lacking in just experiences in reality. So he was discovering that in order to really bring his students along into a conversation about the literature, he would have to take his students out and do things like stargazing right. or teach them to waltz and to take them on trips to Ireland. Now, that's not to say that everyone needs to you know, buy a bunch of plane tickets for their students. I mean, just going outside, just going to a new place and exploring and getting in touch with the real I think is something that John Sr. helps us gain a greater appreciation for. And to have that in addition to the reading of, you know, what Charlotte Mason would call living books, I think that uh, John Sr. and Charlotte Mason would have been, would have oh, been dear friends. And absolutely. so if you're a reader of Charlotte Mason or if you're interested at all in this classical renewal movement, I think you'll find John Sr. to be a voice that uh, needs to be a part of the many voices that are informing and shaping your your approach to education. Yeah. Do you think that if you had read him sooner, it would have changed the way you um, participate in life earlier? I would hope so. I, I think, you know, the question of, uh, you know, what, what book do you wish you had read earlier in life, in some sense, is of course you later in life reflecting back. And I don't know if I would have been ready to receive all of the things he says, mm. but you know, in, in hindsight, of course, I now see that, yeah, I think, I think being more aware of, you know, what's at the heart of a good education and also having someone who is experienced and uh, well-versed in you know, sort of engaging in the various challenges that teachers face. It's sure. good to have a person like that speaking into your life as a young teacher. And so just as much as it's important to have living mentors, I think one should have voices from the past um, teaching you and informing you and shaping the way you think about your vocation. I love that so much. Um, yeah, John Sr.'s at the top of my book list. I need to read him. I've had so many of my good friends who know how much I love Charlotte Mason tell me he's perfect. You guys, you will love him. <laughs> um, I agree that they would be good friends from what my 
friends who love Charlotte Mason have told me. Well, so my so my guess. My guess is that you have something from Charlotte Mason. Is that is that, yeah, is that a fair guess? It definitely is. I, and I, I really Let's can't, hear it. I can't share a quote because there's too many. And I love so many of her quotes that it's just impossible to pick one. Um, so I would say that the book I wish I had read sooner was Charlotte Mason's A Philosophy of Education, which is volume six in her six book series called Home Education. And the reason, mm-hmm. and I've read the book five, six, seven times. I have no idea. Parts of it I've read a dozen times, you know. But the reason I wish I had read it sooner is I started reading it after I had four children and after I started homeschooling them. And so I did start homeschooling them in elementary school. My son was four when I pulled him home, or fourth grade, sorry, fourth grade. So he was 10. Um, My youngest was like four. So I had, you know, four kids in elementary age. And I, when I started reading her, her philosophy, I, I just was so amazed at how much she talked about parenting. And, uh, and then going back and reading volume one, it's just amazing how much I could have learned as a young mom, uh, even talking about how to, how, to, how to help a baby in a nursery, you know, have a, have a poetic life. And so I, I wish I had read her sooner because I feel like as a young mom, it would have really helped me in some areas. But I also think that Charlotte Mason is for everybody in every age. And I'm still reading her today. And as a grandmother, um, and as I'm still, I still consider myself a learner. I'm still learning. There's so much to learn. Um, still self-educating. I still feel like I'm learning so much from her. And so I don't really think that her, her books are for any one specific age. I think for a young adult all the way, and even her book, Ourselves, which is, I think, volume four, is written for teenagers. It's written for her. She started it, writing it for her middle school students to read over the course of three years. So really, her mm-hmm. books go from anywhere from the age of 12 or 13 all the way up to when you die <laughs> when you're old so I, I right. think her, her books are really for everyone um, and they're they're absolutely beautiful and life-changing and I think that's why you, we hear her name so often um, in education today because more and more people are reading her and the words getting out at how life-changing her her message is um, it's absolutely beautiful and it is a rich, full, generous, liberal arts feast that she wants you to set before your children, which is completely in line with the spirit of classical education. Um, so that's why we bring we we are bringing her into the podcast. Um, and I, I, I think our listeners are going to hear her name quite a bit, and they're going to start making some really great connections. And our first guest, Dr. Lou Marcos. Um, has a wonderful story about Charlotte Mason and something he's written about her that, w- that will come out on episode one that our listeners, I think, will, will get a kick out of. And we'll be posting his, um, his essay that he wrote about Charlotte Mason on our website and on our Facebook page once the podcast airs. So I think our listeners are in for a real treat. Well, I'm excited to listen to that episode when it airs, simply to hear all the good things that Dr. Marcos has to say. And I hope that listeners will be gracious and charitable with us 
the host as we venture forth in this project to, again, uh, rediscover the art of asking questions, engage in conversation, and attend to the ideas at the heart of well-ordered teaching and learning. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you so much for listening. We invite you to experience the art of teaching through interactive learning communities at our Patreon page. Visit patreon.com forward slash classical education. Also, be sure to join the conversation on our Facebook community at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash classical education. We are a listener-supported podcast, so your support makes this podcast possible. As the great artist and educator John Ruskin once wrote, Well, my friends, the final result of the education I want you to give your children will be, in a few words, this. They will know what it is to see the sky. They will know what it is to breathe it. And they will know, best of all, what it is to behave under it, as in the presence of a Father who is in heaven.